onset of starlight from flashbangs and frag grenades by Calchaxis read by Sam Gabriel based on League of Legends by Riot Games Chapter 2 A Traitorous Heart Part 1 her room was filled with flowers of every possible shade and scents to the point that Seraphine had opened her window. Because the floral bouquet had actually become a bit cloying, it wasn't that she didn't appreciate the outpouring of love from her fans above and below, but it did get a little much. The fact that her parents were still technically kidnapped was also weighing on her mind. She used the word technically only because no demands had been made, and the only reason anyone knew that they were in the hands of the Cambair and Renata Glask was because of the report filed by Violet Kiriman. That report should have meant something. It should have, because she knew for a fact that it had gone straight to the Council. It was proof positive that a Cambairan of Zaun was holding two sovereign citizens of Piltover against their will, and yet after two full weeks, absolutely nothing had been done. Nothing real, anyway. Oh, there had been hemming and hawing, and vague promises of negotiations made by the council adjuncts that had visited her with updates, but nothing had actually been done, and Seraphine couldn't understand why. It was no secret that her parents weren't welcome back in Zaun. If you left Zaun to try to make a life in Piltover, you were basically telling everyone back home that the topsiders were right, and that Zaun really was just a worthless hole. For all she knew, Glask had already killed them for that perceived betrayal. And still the council did nothing. A knock rattled Seraphine out of her dark thoughts, and she looked up from the window of her hospital room to her door. Come in, she said. Even she could tell her voice had lost some of its oomph. A lean, reedy man in a gray jumpsuit and porter's cap elbowed his way in, carrying another arrangement of flowers— his song had an oddly tinny, grinding quality to it, like a complex flute piece being pushed through a kazoo that was so distracting that it managed to pull Seraphine the rest of the way out of her own heads to stare quizzically at him. He nodded as he walked over to her bedside, looked around, then started moving the arrangements from the table beside her onto the floor. She was so shocked at the weird audacity that she didn't even speak up until he'd set the arrangement he'd brought in next to her and turns to leave. Wait, why did you do that? Seraphine gestured down at the vases and pots he'd littered the floor with. He looked back at her for a moment, then shrugged and said, Sweet ought to go, Miss Arcturus. Then tipped his cap to her and left. A chill ran down her spine as she looked at the flowers. On the surface, they didn't stand out much, but something about their shape chewed at the edges of Seraphine's memory. It was the teardrop petals and their vibrant shade of sharp teal cut through with lines of deep navy and the pale, almost marble-colored stems. Hive blooms, Seraphine whispered, as she reached out to touch the rare zonite flower. Picking them was a deadly endeavor because their bulbous bases played host to the fatally venomous mold wasp, hence their name. Picking hive blooms stirred the wasps, and if you were lucky, you passed out from the agony before succumbing to the stings. If you weren't, you died screaming. 
Zornites died picking them anyway because, of course, the Piltovans loved them. Seraphine touched the flower gingerly, half expecting her room to suddenly be filled with the rancorous buzzing of the flower's insectile protectors, but nothing happened. Sidling over to the edge of her bed, she reached out, picked up the slender vase, and brought it to her lap. Not even her most desperate admirer would send hive plumes to her hospital bed. It was a message. It had to be. She prayed it was. Taking great care, Seraphine pulled each bloom out, one by one, and looked them over from petals to delicate stem. There were eight in all, and she was about to give up hope when she drew out the seventh and stopped at the strange texture of it. It was a fake that had the telltale oily feel of reconstituted materials. Pulling the flower out, she set the vase back onto her bedside table and went to work looking over it. It took her several minutes of picking at the stem before she found a nearly invisible fold, and another ten minutes to get at it without damaging it. Whoever had put this together had gone to great lengths to ensure it would pass the Piltoven security screenings. Carefully, she drew away the thin layering that had been wrapped around the false stem. What came away was so thin that it was translucent, and felt fragile as gossamer under her fingers, and she had to take care not to let her shaking hands tear the fragile material. When she finally had it free and held it up under the light, and her breath caught in her throat at the delicately curling words that shone back at her, Seraphine Arctura. You are cordially invited to a private tour of Glask Industries headquarters at your soonest convenience. It was probably the politest ransom note Seraphine had ever imagined reading. Why the headquarters, though, wasn't that a little on the nose? Then again, it wasn't as though Renata Glask thought she had anything to hide. She let the wife of the Sheriff of Piltover watch her kidnap two Piltoven citizens and then leave unmolested. If there was a greater display of arrogance and power, then Seraphine wasn't sure she could imagine it. It was a power move, without a doubt, and apparently she had good reason to be so arrogant. Despite her obvious guilt, absolutely nothing had come of it. Rolling the thin paper back up, she tucked it away in a pocket and replaced the blooms in their vase, setting them back on her bedside table before settling back into bed. Sighing, Seraphine chewed on the idea of just turning the note over to Caitlin the next time she came to visit, but what would be the point? Glask Industries headquarters were in Zaun, and Glask was a chem baron. Without the council backing her, Caitlin would never be able to get inside. Even if she could, wouldn't that just put her parents at greater risk? Laying a hand over her heart, Seraphine let herself hope. If Glask was telling her to come to Zahn for a meeting, then her parents were almost certainly still alive. Maybe she could even rescue them, or at least negotiate something. So long as there was life, there was hope. It was another week before she was released from the hospital spire, and Seraphine had been practically vibrating with the need to answer the impromptu summons. Fortunately, Sheriff Caitlin seemed to take it as just a natural dislike of hospitals, which, in fairness, was also true. 
There were a lot of songs packed in tight corners in places like that, and not many of them were happy. Worse, they were the sort of thing that no amount of music or smiles could fix. You're sure you'll be all right? Caitlin, resplendent in her enforcer's blue and brass, asked as they walked through the lobby towards the hospital's main doors. You're welcome in my home, you know. Thank you, but I promise I'll be fine, Seraphine assured her. I have my own apartment. I was only staying at my parents' shop to look after the place while they were away. The doors hissed open on pneumatic rails, and they stepped outside onto and into the bright sunlight of Piltover, and a sudden wind whipped her long pink hair up and around her face for a moment before she got it back under control and tied it back behind her head. Sir, I know it feels like we're doing nothing, but— They are doing nothing, Seraphine replied, perhaps a little more sharply than she needed to, and the fragile song in Caitlin's heart shifted down several keys. I know it's not your fault, she continued, but it's been over two weeks since my parents were taken. We know where they are, and the council would still rather just sit on its hands, so forgive me if I'm not feeling confident. It's complicated, Caitlin replied. No, it's not, Seraphine said. It's just greed and fear. Something went out of Caitlin when she said that, and her song turned darker. As much as she respected Caitlin, the truth was that the sheriff worked for a system that was even more broken than Seraphine had ever imagined. The great houses are floundering, Caitlin said. Noxus withdrew from a lot of Piltovin business and cut dozens of crucial contracts after the debacle with Jinx. Some of them are only still afloat because of Glask Industries. And if they go after her, like I said, greed and fear. Seraphine put her back to Caitlin and shook her head. Thank you, Sheriff, for everything you've done. I truly appreciate it. But I don't think you can help me anymore. I'm begging you, Sarah. Don't do anything rash, Caitlin pleaded. Seraphine looked back at Caitlin through the windswept veil of her hair and smiled wanly. They're my parents, Miss Kiriman. I'll do what I have to. And I'm sure you of all people understand that. The grief on her face was palpable, and the grief in her song was more so. She hadn't meant to be cruel, but this was the truth that both of them knew. The oligarchs of the council were scared. They were scared of Jinx, scared of Zorn, and scared of their fortunes being imperiled. The terror of the last council's fate was too near for them not to be painfully aware of their own vulnerability, so they were scared of that, too. As frustrating as it was, Seraphine couldn't even blame them for that. They were, in the end, just people. Rich people, but people for all that. If only Piltover and Zahn could just understand each other and stop being so scared of each other. Maybe then. A hex cab pulled up alongside the sidewalk in front of them, and Seraphine flagged it down before picking up her few belongings and starting towards it. Sarah, wait! She paused and looked back at Caitlin again. I've waited long enough, Sheriff, Seraphine said. Thank you again for everything. There was precious little hope left in the poor woman, and Seraphine hated that she had to turn her back like that. 
but it was clear that Piltover had no intention of helping. That left her with no other options beyond either accepting the strange offer extended by the woman who had kidnapped her parents, or imitating the council and sitting on her own hands. That wasn't any kind of choice at all. Settling into the back, Seraphine put her bag to the side, closed the door, and told the driver, Glask Industries headquarters, please. He looked back at her in surprise, then presumably saw the look on her face and decided not to argue as he turned back to the wheel. Glask Industries, he repeated cautiously. There was no way he didn't recognize her. Even outside of her limited presence on the rift, she'd performed so many impromptu concerts in the streets of Piltover and Zaun that she knew she'd be hard-pressed to find a native of either city who hadn't at least heard of her. With that said, she was grateful that he didn't try to argue. Maybe he was starstruck. Maybe he was just afraid. She spent the ride in silence, watching the city drift past. Her parents had risked and sacrificed so much to get themselves out of Zaun and into Piltover, all for the sake of not raising her in a place where poison fumes, chemical explosions, and simple murder were more common forms of death than old age. And she was grateful to them. Seraphine wasn't going to pretend that her upbringing, poor though it may have been for most of her life, wasn't incredibly privileged by comparison. She'd been raised in Piltover, given a Piltoven name and a Piltoven education, but the truth was that her heart had always drawn her back to Zaun. It was why, given the opportunity to champion either city, she had decided to accept the offer from the Ken Barons in spite of everything that had been expected of her. Piltover had plenty of voices and wealth and power to see to its needs. Zaun had needed her more, and she had wanted to acknowledge that. She had done everything in her admittedly meager power to try and make up some of the difference and make lives just a little bit better in the city, but it seemed like no matter what she did it would never be enough. As much as the people of Zaun loved her concerts, they still resented her for what she represented, a Zaunite champion who didn't even live in Zaun proper. Did that make her a hypocrite? Maybe. Seraphine had never really been able to settle on an answer to that question one way or another, but she was certain that she knew the answer she would get if she were to ask. Glask Spires, the driver announced. Thank you. Seraphine paid the man before stepping out with her bag. She ran a hand over her blouse and blue trousers, flattening out the wrinkles and wondering briefly if she should have maybe stopped at home for something a bit more flashy. There wasn't much reason to, though, was there? It wasn't as though she was going into this with any kind of leverage. That message had been a velvet glove wrapped around an iron fist, a soft touch that only served to drive home just how brutal the strike would be if she forced the issue. At this point, there was no reason for pretense. Brushing her hair from her eyes, she ascended the steps and passed through the pneumatic doors and into the cool air of the Glask Industries headquarters lobby. There was a smattering of people moving about, and a young Zonite woman with short dark hair and curling facial tattoos sitting at the front desk. Swallowing back her fear, Seraphine stepped up to the desk and said, Hello, I'm... I'm here for a meeting. 
Miss Arctura, welcome. Yes, we've been expecting you, the woman said brightly, standing up from her seat. Please follow me. I, okay, Seraphine replied, wrong-footed at the cheery greeting. She fell in behind the young woman all the same, though. The woman was dressed in common Piltoven fashion, browns and brasses with a bit of black, likely serving to put their topsider clients at ease when they came in to do business, but her tattoos were distinctly Zonite. It was a curious choice, putting someone with those marks right out in front. It was a subtle snub and reminder to anyone who came in that this wasn't a Piltoven business, no matter how much they might like to pretend to it. The receptionist led Seraphine through a number of back halls deep into the spire before stopping at the doors of an ornate elevator. It didn't have a call button, rather it had a complex keypad set into it, and the receptionist punched in a series of numbers before turning back to her, cutting a brief bow and saying, I hope you enjoy your stay with us, Miss Arctura. Have an excellent day. And then she was gone the heels of her flats clicking deafeningly in the silent halls as she vanished back to her post. Seraphine licked her dry lips, unsure how to respond to any of that. The woman's song hadn't been anything particularly noteworthy, neither deep nor strident nor high. It was as if it were designed to blend into the background of everyone else's, a bass line beneath the thrum of a greater harmony. The elevator doors hissed open, and Seraphine turned to stare into the spacious cab. No turning back now. She stepped inside and waited. And a moment later the doors hissed shut, and the elevator began to descend. All she could do was hope. The descent took long enough that Seraphine knew she must have gotten down to the depths of Zahn itself, not just the low bowels of Piltover. The heat was the first clue. Even in the temperature-controlled elevator cab, she could feel it getting hotter, and when the doors opened, the air rolled in with a near-physical force. Even in places where the filters weren't at full capacity, places like Glask Industrial Spire, nothing could make the air like it was topside. No amount of technology could filter out the taste of Zahn from the air. Um, hello? Seraphine called as she stepped out of the elevator and into a dimly lit hallway. Hello? No answer but her own echoing voice came back to her. Behind her, the elevator doors closed with a deafening snap, and Seraphine leapt back and squeaked as the dull hum of the rails sent the elevator back upward. Just like before, there was no call button, just a keypad. There was nowhere to go but forward. Well, I wasn't planning on running anyway, Seraphine said. More to fill the claustrophobic space with something other than silence than anything. The hallway wasn't long, and she passed several closed-off archways that looked like they might have led deeper into the complex of the spire. More and more, Seraphine was starting to understand that she was being herded to one place. Already the power plays had begun, and Seraphine wasn't even being given a chance to make a play of her own. Either she let herself be led around by the nose, or she gave up. Eventually, her throttled path led her to another door, this one was larger and more ornate by far. It was not brass but steel, and the emblem decorating it was the full coat of arms of Glask herself. Eventually her throttled path led her to another door. This one was larger and more ornate by far. Three guesses who's behind door number one. 
Seraphine mumbled as she put a hand on the door and pushed it open. No sense knocking since the occupant clearly wanted her there. Soft music filtered past her as she stepped inside a well-appointed office. It was grand and spacious, with the walls lined with bookshelves made from real, honest-to-Jana wood. The books on the shelves were probably real paper, too. Half of the office was given over to a study with a long, low table and a chalange alongside it, but front and center of it all was a grandiose desk that must have constituted the better half of a tree, and sitting behind that desk was the woman herself, the monster, Renata Glask. Well, Seraphine said as the door closed behind her with a dull thump, I'm here, just like you wanted. The director of Glask Industries was more than imposing. She was an icon, tall, broad, and powerful, with long hair that was equal parts ink and iron, that had been expertly quaffed around her smooth, dark skin and patrician brow, and her eyes burned pink with chemical enhancement. What surprised Seraphine, though, was that she wasn't wearing her filter. Every other time she appeared in public and in every single poster and image of her published for dissemination, she was shown wearing the heavy, steel wraparound filter. It was so emblematic of her image that Seraphine had never imagined what she might look like without it. The lack of it was oddly humanizing. It left her full, dark lips and expressive mouth bare, and she was using it to full effect as she smiled over steepled fingers. Yes, you are. Renata said. Good girl. I'm here for my parents, so just tell me what you want. And skip the foreplay, I think not. Seraphine swallowed thickly as she tipped her head back and watched Renata stand to her full, impressive height. She was dressed in a sharp, pinstripe suit with the sleeves rolled up to the elbows, complete with suspenders and a charcoal tie and every inch of her screamed power and control. As much as she knew it was all just a display, Seraphine couldn't help but take a step back as Renata moved out from behind her desk and closed the distance. This wasn't what she had expected. She had expected Glask to keep tugging her along, but now she was advancing and Seraphine had no idea what she was going to do. All of a sudden this plan of hers seemed incredibly ill thought out. Maybe Caitlin had been right. For a long moment, Renata simply towered over Seraphine. Those chem-scorched eyes bored into her like embers, and sweat beaded at Seraphine's brow as she forced herself not to look away. Then, Renata Glass held out her arm like a gentleman offering an escort and said, Come with me. Where are we going? Did you read your invitation? Renata asked wryly. Seraphine frowned, eyeing the offered arm quizzically for a moment before making her decision. If this was what Glask wanted her to do, if this was the game she had to play, then she would play it. Straightening her back, Seraphine put on every ounce of her practiced poise and took Renata's arm. I believe you promised me a tour, Seraphine said. I believe I did, Renata replied. She let herself be let out feeling more than a little like a lamb being led to the slaughter. The text of this story is available on AO3. 
Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voiceover, or character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>